We are learning Dafnun. We're starting from a couple lines down here. Amar Abilai, and we're continuing to discuss different legislations that were made in Usha. Usha was one of the places where the Sanhedrin stopped in its route when it was running away um, from Yavna, running away from the Romans. So there were different later legislations that were made, and we have different reports from different Amaram about it. So Amar Abilai, but Usha Eskinu, Hamavazve, someone who wants to give away his money, he shouldn't give away too much money. He shouldn't give more than a fifth of his total money. So in other words, it's proper to give maizah, to give a tenth. If you want to give more than a tenth, a greater amount of money, you could. But Rabbi Lai is saying that they made a takana, and a person should specifically not give more than a fifth of his money. What is the reason? So we see from the Brides of Tanya, and the Brides of says like this, don't give away more than a fifth. Because you're giving away so much money, you might end up needing support. It once happened that somebody wanted to give away more than his fifth, and his friend or his colleague wouldn't allow him. Manu, who was this person? Rabbi Yeshevov. Rabbi Yeshevov wouldn't allow it. But a the people say, Rabbi Yeshevov. It wasn't Rabbi Yeshevov who didn't allow his friend, but to the contrary, Rabbi Yeshevov himself wanted to give away more than a fifth of his wealth. His colleague didn't let him. Manu, who was the colleague, it was Rabbi Yekiva. Either way, uh, we see it being implemented, this legislation from Usha. What is the Pasuk where we can see this? So when Yaakov Avinu is talking here, and he's declaring that he's going to give my sir from the, the, the blessings that our Kaddish Baruch Hu gives him, there's a double lesson. There's a double language. So it's a double tithe. A double tithe, two tenths, that is going to equal a total of a fifth. Says the Gemara, the math isn't right. The last tenth is not the same as the first tenth because some of the original amount is gone. So if I have 100 and I take away 10, so I only have 90. A tenth of 90 is only 9. So I don't get to the full, um, the full fifth. So the Gemara answers, I will take the miser of it. It's coming to tell us that the second tithe will be exactly in the same amount as the first tithe. So it doesn't mean 10% from the remaining 90, but it means a 10% which is equal to the original 10%. Continues the Gemara. So if it just happened, if you're following here from yesterday, continuing from yesterday and today, we actually had three different uh, Takanos that were uh, discussed coming from Usha. One of them is the reason we got into all of this. Meikara didn't, a person has an obligation to support their children, but maybe in Usha, they made a takana, it was reported, uh, Rabbi Loi, in the name of Rishlakish, in the name of Vidra Rukhanina, that they made a takana to support one's children. The Gemara debated whether or not there was actually uh, such a thing that was true. Then the Gemara said that there was another one Rabbi Lai said the name of Reish Lakish, that they made a takana, that is someone who wrote all of, his, all of his possessions away to his children, so his children own all of his assets, his children have an obligation to support uh, the father. And now today, we're seeing one more, just in the name of Rabbi Lai, not quoting anybody, that someone giving away charity shouldn't give away more than the fifth. So the Gemara says, All these teachings that come from Rabbi Lai, about the Takana Usha are going, they're decreasing in the number of Amaram that he's saying. Meaning to say, the first one was Rabbi Lai B'Shem Rishlakish in the name of Rabbi Hanin, and the second one was just Rabbi Lai in the name of Rishlakish, and the third one was just Rabbi Lai in his own, not quoting anybody. Simarach, and the way to remember the order of these is Kitana, and the first one was about the minors, right, about supporting children. Kasu, the halach about the person who wrote away all of his assets to his children. Ubizbazu, and the last one, which was just Rabbi Lai, about, the, about giving away more, more than a tenth of tzedakah. Says the Gemara, now other things from Usha. Amar of Yitzchak, It's good for a person to bear with his child until he turns 12. Meaning, if he's not learning, you should gently persuade him. You don't use force until 12. From 12 and on, you ruin his life. Meaning to say that he's punished. 
and you shouldn't give him food, so on and so forth, to make sure that the child gets it, that importance of learning Torah. So the Gemara says, Eni, is this really the right approach? Boy, the lesson six will not accept. In other words, he's not good to teach him, he won't be a good student. Once he's of six years old, then he will accept his fist of the guitar, and you should stuff up the six-year-old boy with a ton of Torah knowledge, meaning to say, stuff it up, just as sometimes you fatten up an ox, even if it doesn't want to eat, you feed it more, you force-feed, so do here, we force-feed information to the child. So what do I see? I see that uh, from the age of six already, you're supposed to deal harshly with the child and make sure that he's learning a lot. So the Gemara answer is, in Safi Le yes, it's true, you stuff him like an ox from the age of six. But you don't, even though you're, you're trying to force feed him information, but you don't make his life miserable and not give him food until he turns 12. So meaning the approach is that under six, it's not worth it to try to tell, teach him much. From six and on, the approach is we try to force feed him. But if he's not accepting, then we only gently persuade. But from the age of 12 and on, that's where we, ruin, we, we make his life really miserable if he won't learn. Says the Gemara, another person, you bite him another answer is not, it's not difficult. Ha, the Mikra. Rav was talking about Mikra. Mikra is Psukim. Ha, the Mishnah. Usha is talking, the Takanda Usha was talking about Mishnah. So in other words, it's, 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 when we say six, we mean six as you would actually force and make him life miserable. But again, that's only for Psukim. Twelve, now at that point, you get forced um, to go learn Mishnah. Says the Gemara, where do we see this distinction between six being for, for Mikra and twelve being for Mishnah? Mother told me, Barashis, the Mikra, six year old is ready for Psukim. Baras, the Mishnah, ten year old is ready for the Mishnah. A boy in his 13th year, meaning not once he turned 13, but in his 13th year, as she learns, once he turns 12, he's ready to fast the uh, 24 hours. So you prepare him for the fast. So with Tinoka's part to raise her for the girl in her 12th year, meaning once she turns 11, she is ready for that. So we see over here. Um, we see over here that, that the support for what we're saying, that the six-year-old should be forced to study the psukim. It's interesting how we're saying that the, here at the age of 10 is when you try to persuade the kid to learn mission again. As we said, when you get 12, that's the takana from Usha, that you force the kid, and uh, if he's not complying to learn the mission the way he should when he turns 12, then you make his life miserable um, and don't give him food, making sure that he learns. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yemeliyim, Abarshist de Tarka le Akabra. If you have a six year old who's bitten by a scorpion, Bioma de Mishlam Shis, and the day he turns, that he finishes his sixth year, Lochai is not going to live. Meaning, if unless you do something about it, some sort of medicine, then the kid who got bit by the scorpion is not going to finish out his year. Mayas who say, What's the fix? Maratha Daya Chavarta Bishiva. You need some sort of. Uh, some sort of phlegm or something from a certain type of bird that's mixed with beer. In Avshiv and Ashke, so we know that you're rubbing, you're rubbing some of the phlegm on the kid and he drinks some of it. He, drink, he has to drink some of this phlegm together with the beer. So it seems like a very interesting medicine over here uh, to cure the kid from the scorpion bite. Ibar shot is the dark lazy bura. If a one year old is bitten by a bee, be open the mission shot. When he finishes the first year, look how he won't live more. Maya has to say, so what, how are you going to fix that? So we say, Atzvasa Diklabamaya. We're going to go to the palm tree and take some of the stuff that grows around it, and we're going to have that mixed with water. And in Ashkev and Ashkev, we rub some of it on the kid and also have him drink some of it together with water. Anyone who tries to get his kid to learn Torah before he's six years old, he could run after him to try to keep him healthy, but he's not going to reach him, meaning he's not going to be successful. The kid is going to, to, be, to be very, very weak. Um, because when you start Torah, learning Torah too young, you get very weak. You could hear other people say, no, it's actually a beneficial thing. His fellow students will try to run after him. They'll try to reach his level of scholarship. So they're not going to reach him, meaning he got this head start of learning Torah 
um, early before he was six, and no one's going to be able to catch up to him. Everything's going to be amazing uh, because of it. Says the Gemara, the truth is both of these versions are valid. If the child is weak, the child will be weak, but he'll know a lot. So it's true. He'll know a lot, but uh, he'll pay a price that he's, he, will, he will be weak. He buys him another answer. The first thing he's talking about a boy who's anyways weak. So if it's anyways weak, so then he's going to get way too weak if he starts early. So it should be delayed. Whereas if he's a strong, healthy kid, so actually then it's very good and beneficial for him to start learning early um, and he will develop stronger than his other um, friends. Says Amar now another takana from Musha. What if a woman sells her malug property in the husband's lifetime? So let's just understand. Uh, these are women's property that she brings into the marriage. She was the owner of it, but the payrolls, all the revenue or things in the usage, are to the husband. So the woman is selling it. So again, when she's selling, she can't take away her husband's right to use it, but she's selling the principal. But the idea is. That 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 what's happening is that this the person is purchasing the full possession that the rights of the possession if something would happen to the wife that he would own the principal. What happened here is that she sold it while her husband was still alive, but then the woman died. So now, really, the halacha is that a husband inherits her estate. That's a din. A husband always inherits his wife, but here his wife had sold a property. Um, the, that she owned the principle of the Nuxim Belug during their lifetime. So what's the halacha? About Moti because the husband can take away the property from the hands of the purchases. He's considered as if he already had a purchase before. Now, as the Takana, the Usha was, it's really going against the halacha. Really what would have been is that he can't get the Nuxim Belug once she sold it. But we say, and, and she's the principal owner, so she has the right to sell it. All he had the right would, would, was to eat the fruits during the lifetime. So technically, she could sell it, and then uh, the purchaser would become the owner after the death. But here we're saying that, no, the Rabbanan made his strength, the right of usage in the nichseim uh, look of his wife, very, very strong, as if he had you know, somehow retroactively bought it from his wife from before. And that was a new takana to view it that way. Really, all the, the whole din is just to say that he has the right of usage. But the takana of, of Ula made it much stronger, that it's as if the husband had retroactively bought this field before this other guy that the wife sold it to during her lifetime. And therefore, the husband is able to take it away from the hands of the purchasers. He once found Rabbi Vo, he was standing in a big, big group of people in Usha. He says, Rabbi Vo, who is, who, who is reporting over this, this, this point that they made in Usha that a Baal and the Nechsimalog is treated like a, a, a previous purchaser? Rabbi Vo said that the author of this teaching is the one that we're relying on. Is Rabbi Yosef Rechnin? Atanimi ne Abrams and Rabbi Yosef learned this forty times, not to forget what the source was. But Dumbly command the Malachal Bikis. Afterwards, it was as if it was put in his pocket. Meaning, after reviewing this point forty times, then he really, really got it. Now we talk more about supporting one's children. We look at a pasuk here. A pasuk in Dilim Ashrei Shomer Mishpat. Praise by the people who guard justice. They do charity all the time. What does that mean? Your person does charity every second. The rabbis in Yavna expound the Ramal Rabbi Lazar, Zazan, Banab, and Moshe, and Shengitan. We're talking about someone who does, in fact, give sustenance to his children when they are the minors. So, really, you're not really obligated to do that. But, but as we're saying over here, that it's like, it's like doing charity. So the idea is as if they're doing it all the time because the person, the person always has these kids in their home and the kids are always have the food available to them. So it's as if he's doing tzedakah all the time by making sure that the food is available to the children. No, refers to someone who raises orphans in his house and he's able to marry them off. So this is something that uh, it's considered a pure act of, of, of charity. And it's something you really, you know, you're giving the, giving the person a life. 
Continues the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, wealth and riches can be in a person's house, but it's tzedakah is forever. In other words, it's eternal. So what does this mean? What is this referring to? The person can have a lot of wealth, but that's ephemeral. But as regards to tzedakah, which lasts forever, what is this tzedakah that's eternal? This is talking about someone who learns Torah, and he teaches it. So, in other words, you, you, you have all the wealth of Torah, that's the wealth in your house, but the tzedakah is there forever in the sense that when you teach in Torah and pass it on to others. We're talking about someone who is a sofer. He writes the Torah and he lends them to other people to learn. So in other words, he has his principle, his wealth in his home, that's the Sefer Torah, but then he also lends it to other people and that's the charity he, he helps them learn as well. One last pasuk, you should see children born to your children. You should have grandchildren. When there are grandchildren, then there is peace. So what's the pshat? The grandchildren bring peace. If your children have children, then there will be peace. Then the children will not have a shayla of chalitza or yibam. Chalitza and yibam is all when there's no children. So, and, and chalitza or yibam are, can be contentious, so on and so forth. So, children's children, that's going to make more peace, Shalom al Yisrael, because of the fact that there's not going to lead to any chalitza or yibam. Another pshat here, Amar, Kiva, and Shemban, Levanach, once you're have children, Shalom al Dayani, so there will be peace to the judges of Kaisal, Allah, and they're not going to come and argue about who is the, uh, the right Yorish. In other words, if there's, if the child dies without children, so then there's a whole question. <clears throat> who inherits him and it gets complicated, who is the next closest ever besides a child. But when a child has a child, then everything is clear and simple and obvious about who is the right person to inherit them. Then we continue what we did in the Mishnah. Rabbi Lazar said in front of the Chalmers, we were talking about this idea that a person is only obligated to sustain their, their, the daughters, it's Mitnaya after they pass away, it's in whatever state they leave, <clears throat> the daughters are entitled to take some of it for their sustenance. So how did we know that? Because it was next to something else in the Ksuba. What else? It says in the Ksuba that the sons of a woman inherit the Ksuba. So what that means basically is that a woman is entitled to the Ksuba if her husband dies. Um, but what happens if the wife dies first? And then, then the husband saves all of the Ksuba. So there was a new Takana, one of the one we'll learn about it later in Ksubos, that the woman's sons, that her sons from the husband, they should specifically should inherit all the ksuba when the husband dies, as opposed to sharing it with sons from, uh, from, from, from another marriage that the husband may have had. And that way, like it protects the ksuba and the dowry in her family. It, 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 a father might be reluctant to give, up, to give his daughter so much of the dowry to go in because, hey, what's going to happen if the daughter dies first and some other family, some other kids are going to inherit it? He might not like that. So therefore, there was this takana that we're talking about that the sons of this woman specifically inherit all the ksuba if the mother died first and then the father, then the sons from that mother specifically inherit all of it. So we made, we said in the Mishnah, just as that only comes, la'achar misa, the sons only inherit after death. So to the other point of the ksuba that the daughters are entitled to, entitled to sustenance, that's only after death. So the Gemara says, Yes, we're going to come to the Rav Huna, Vesra Rav Huna, Ka'amah, Yosef is in front of Rav Huna, Rav Huna was saying, Shem Shein Abban, Rav Yosef, Nalama Karka, just as sons only inherit real property. Sons do not inherit movable property. Just as that is true, the daughters, this halacha that they're sustained, they only are able to be sustained from real property. In other words, they can't take, uh, um, they're not entitled to take from the movable properties. Only the karka is what's encumbered, what it, which what has the shibut on it for their sustenance, but not the uh, movable property. So 
the premise here is that sons only inherit real property. So the Rebuna, Rebuna, everyone didn't understand what he meant. Everyone started shouting, When a person leaves property, that's when his sons inherit him. Inheritance doesn't work on movable property. That doesn't make any sense. Inheritance works, even, inheritance works on anything that the father owned. So Rabbi Yosef defended him. He wasn't saying basic inheritance. He was talking about the special stipulation from the Ksuba that's inherited by the male children. So again, if a father dies, really all this should be split between all of his sons. But in the scenario where there was a dowry and a ksuba and whatever it was, and a woman passed away first, and then the husband dies, then this takana was made that all of that ksuba amount should be inherited specifically by the sons from the mother who died first. And that was the takana of ksubas men And this is said that that is only inherited from the real property. So obviously, sons in general, the concept of sons inheriting, they inherit from all types of properties, even movable properties. But the specific takana of ksubas men which again, we will visit many times coming up in the Masechta. But this special takana, that when the wife dies first and then the husband, that the ksuba is inherited only by her sons. So that, um, that is only when there is real estate. So if you're a great man, you understood right away what I was saying. You understood that. I didn't mean literally that, that sons only inherit real estate. You, you understood that right away from the, from the get-go, as opposed to everybody else who was screaming at me. Um, you understood what I meant, that my intent was for Ksubas bin Adir. Continues the Gemara, Chibar Yosef, Rav supported orphan girls from the wheat of the Aliyah. So we have to understand what that means exactly. So you have orphan girls, and they wanted to be supported. Now, what was the takana? The takana is, as we see in the Ksuba, that, that they should be supported. But really, they only have to be supported from real estate. So Rav was still giving them from the wheat, so, which is presumably uh, not real estate. So we'll have to see what's going on. So the Gemara says, we analyze what Rav did. Was it Parnasa? So we're here, we're talking about that there was um, that, that there's a mitzvah for a father to leave possessions for their dowry. Even when a father dies, he should leave possessions behind for the dowry to help them get married. So maybe that's not what we're talking about sustenance, we're talking about for the dowry. So we're talking about it was parnaso, my What does it mean? It was aliyah mi'ludav. It means from like the, the best thing of the father's generosity, like Shmuel said, the Amr Shmuel, the parnaso, shaman bav. When we talk about a dowry, we have to try to assess what the father would want. And we decide that probably the father would want um, for the dowries, what would he want based upon if he was alive? And we have to know how generous or, or stingy that this person was. So it's based upon that. And since it's based upon what we, we assess the father would want the dowry, that's why it can be taken from movable properties as well. Once the aside is that you take based upon what the father would probably want, so the father would want his children, his daughters to have a dowry even from movable properties. Um, and, and like, like Shmuel's idea, maybe no, it means actual sustenance, meaning we're not talking about a dowry, we're talking about what we were talking about before, that the girls are supported after the death. Now, it means that the source to take even movable properties came from a good decree that was made in an upper chamber. There was an upper chamber that where the Rabbanon sat and they said, they made a new legislation, that the girls should be sustained even from movable properties. So meaning to say, really, as we spoke about the girls are only supported from the real estate. As we saw from the stipulation from the Ksuba, only says that there's a Shibad on the deceased father's real estate to support the girls. But what happened is, is that they made a takana in the upper chamber, a new special takana, 
which said that we should be sustaining the girls even from something like wheat, which is movable property. So we're not sure what Rav's actions were. As Rav was giving them the dowry, it was Rav giving them sustenance. So the Gemara says, Tashima, we did the Rabbi Banai, Achud, Rabbi Chibaba, and once happened in the hands of Rabbi the brother of Chibaba, Mtatul Yasmi. He had movable properties of orphans. In other words, he was like the Apatropus, he was the guardian for these uh, little, little boys over here. And he had the movable properties. Those look on the Shmuel, and the daughters came to Shmuel, and the daughters were saying that they wanted to be sustained. Sustained what? From the movable properties. Shmuel said to Rabbana, go support the girls, even though he was holding movable properties. Um, he said, go support. So my love, what does support mean? Usually support means, zun means sustenance, food. really must hold like Yosef, who said that there's a new takon, a new legislation that they made in the upper chamber that the daughters should be sustained from the movable property. So again, um, it, it, we're trying to prove which way Shmuel held from this, uh, from this story because he used the Lashon of Zun. But the Gemara rejects that this is a good proof. Lo, Hasan al-Parnasah, really could be just for the dowry. And again, that's different. The dowry is different. It's, not, it's a different idea that you're assessing the mindset of the father, what he would want his daughter to have for her dowry. Shmuel, Shmuel, it goes according to what he said, his own opinion. For a dowry, we always try to understand what the father was. If he was more giving, then we give a bigger dowry after his death, so on and so forth. But again, for the sustenance, it's possible that the sustenance is only taken from the, from the real property, the non-movable things from the father's estate. There was once a story in Ardal, but Dun Dainu Ardal, the judge on Ardal ruled that they could, the girls could be supported from movable property. A story happened from Medisa of Ad, where Rabbi Khanabar Bizna, Rabbi Khanabar Bizna collected movables again to support. So it seems that they were practically implementing this idea from the upper chamber that metallically good code to support the girls. Amalaf Nachman Renachman told the judges, Zilla Hadri, go back and change your decisions. If you don't, I'm going to collect your own mansions from you. Meaning to say, Renachman was very strong. He felt they had done the wrong things. He held that sustenance cannot come from the uh, movable properties. They only come from Karaka. So therefore, he told the judges very strongly that they have to change their minds. We're thinking once that maybe they should give to the orphan girls from movable property. He said to them, something that Rabbi Yochanan Rishlakish didn't take action on. You are going to take action on? So meaning to say, we don't know anyone from the G'dayli Amaram from before. They were very okay with the halacha that it's only taken from non-movable tarak. You're going to change the halacha now? You don't do such a thing. So even if we're hearing whispers of changes in legislation. If we don't know of it from the earth previous generations, then we're not going to do it. Rabbi Lazar saw amazing thousand. Rabbi Lazar thought that maybe to sustain the orphan girls from the movable property. said, Rabbi I know you. You're not doing this from the ikra din from the halacha. You're trying to do this out of a way of mercy. So meaning to say, he wasn't going to forcibly collect the movable properties from the, from them, but he was going to try to. Persuade them, why not nice to be, then why not do something nice for the girl? So even though I know that you're not trying to say that's the halacha, you're only trying to convince them and persuade them to do it, but you still shouldn't do it. It's not the right thing to persuade them. Because maybe the students are going to see what you're doing. They're going to be koveya that as the actual halacha. Meaning they're going to think if you're, if you're trying to speak to them about, about giving, giving the property, then, then movable properties, it must be that's the halacha, that the movable properties are mishubit. So, so people are going to think that's the halacha. So therefore, it's better not to even try to persuade them. Says so the Gemara. Another story here. Who also come to Rabbi Yosef? A certain little girl came before Rabbi Yosef. She was orphaned. She wanted support. Amalu. He told he told the the, the heirs who had inherited. How about time Budya? Go give her the dates that are on the mats. So presumably the mats are what catches the dates. So it's a movable property. The dates already come off the tree. 
So he's saying that that she can be, that she should be supported from movable property. If it was a creditor that wanted to would you give it to him? Meaning a creditor only has the right to come after the death of the of the person who owed him money and go to the heirs and collect from non-movable property. A Baal doesn't have the right to collect from the Talsland. So if it was a Baal would you give him to him? You wouldn't. So why are you saying these girls also? The girls can only collect from Karka, not from a Talsland. On labor, Yossi said, the Chazul of I mean, I meant dates that are fit for the mats, meaning they're still attached to the tree, but they're about to be picked. And therefore, they're still considered to be part of the tree. If they're still considered to be part of the tree, then their real estate, they can collect from that. The Gemara says, So, so, still in the end, Anything about to be harvested is already considered like it is harvested. So therefore, the Sheba should not be on these dates. Even if they're technically still on the tree, if they're about to fall off, so we shouldn't view that the Sheba is on them. They should be considered as if they are already detached and movable. So the Gemara says, I'm only talking about dates that we still needed the palm tree, meaning... Um, even though they could be ripe, but they would improve further if they were left on the tree, and therefore they're considered part of the tree at this point, and they're karka, and that's why the shebud is on them. So we conclude this com- this 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 sugi about girls being supported, the obligation that they it is not there when the father's alive, but after his death, um, the girls have the right to take sustenance from the heirs. But again, we're saying that the ikr is really only on the karka, although we kind of persuade, we're happy for the for the boys to do it from metatalim as well.